Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another edition, to another installment of Hashtag Fade to Black. I am your host, Donnell Lamonte Morris, and here with Anita Joe, a.k.a. Teach. Welcome to the show once again. Thanks for having me. I enjoy coming on. Mm -hmm. And y'all already know what it is. Um, this show is basically going to be about a... Uh, Christianity in the black community. Is it holding us up or, you know, I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. But coming in for our opening arc. Uh-oh. He's here. <laughs> Peace, Johnson. Evening, evening. How we doing? Oh, are we good? We good? Welcome. We are right, just. On, we got to on. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears now. What, what are we speaking on? Um, we are actually going to be uh, talking about Christianity in the black community. But before we get on the topic, we have to do our opening statements, right? So let's go ahead and jump in, jump into that. So who will be taking the jump on this one? Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give it to Teach. Teach, you got the floor. Okay, you know this is a very hot and controversial topic. When you talk about people's religion and the basis on, on which they live their life, um, it gets very emotional, very tense. But um, nevertheless, it's a conversation that needs to be had. So I would like to um, just say that um, there's a phrase, not by force or by choice. In current day Christianity, are we serving by choice or are we serving by force? Think about that. Uh, 
Thank you, Beast Johnson. And then it's up to me. Uh, good grief. I, I am in a rare form right now. Uh, I actually got off work. Only thing I ate was these uh, Reese's things, but enough about me. But hopefully everybody's having a great day on this uh, very beautiful Wednesday. One thing I do want to tell each and every one of you beautiful people, please realize there is a disease out there called COVID-19. I know there's a lot of protests going on, not even across the country, but, um, but around the world. There is still, it's, coronavirus is still out there. I don't care if you don't believe in it or whatever, what have you. Stay safe. Don't get this disease thinking that since nobody's not talking about it, that it's gone. I know there's a lot of craziness, a lot of trouble that's going on right now in this country, but wash your hands, hand sanitizer, which I got a whole bunch of that in my freaking car. I wish I could give you all the freaking bottles that I got the other day, a big size jar of uh, hand sanitizers. And just be careful, wear a mask, like this mask right here. I wear this with my civilians. Please, there's, a, there's still a disease out there and don't, don't attract it. Don't don't think there's the flu. Don't do it to yourselves. So stay vigilant, stay aware, and stay healthy. Um, and keep your hair on the swivel. And don't forget, COVID-19 is still out there. And now let me get everybody back on in there. All right. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into this subject of Christianity. So I'm, I'm going to start off with you, Teach. And I, once again, I'm still in rare form, but you know what? Hey, I got to do what to do. Okay. Do you think... Uh, all right, oh, she's going to jump on in. Go ahead, Teach. I'm going to go ahead. I'm just going to sit back and listen. <laughs> well, um, yeah. I, I want to start out by saying that, well, dispelling the myth that the enslaved African did not have a God, so therefore the enslavers had to give them a God. Um, and what that means is, is that we in Africa are the original man. 
And I want to understand this concept. When God formed man and breathed life into his body, the very first human was touched by God. Let me say it again. When God created that first human and breathed life into his nostrils, that man was physically touched by God. Now, all other beings simply are touched by their mother and their father in the act of procreation. So, the original African, if you go to the Ashanti in Ghana or the Yoruba in Nigeria or the Zulu in South Africa, they will all tell you a creation story that is unlike the Christian view. Is that uh, my mic? I, I don't even know. I know, no, it's not mine. I'm... It's a lot of static. Yeah. All right. So, um, actually, this is a good time for a break because I forgot to do the intro to the main story to Christianity in the black community. I actually forgot to do that. So, let's go ahead and do that. So, once we come back, hopefully, we have that issue fixed. All right, now that's how you start off with the main story, ladies and gentlemen. We just were jumping into it before I even did the freaking like intro. So take that hit. I take that hit, ladies and gentlemen. I take that hit. It's a subject okay. that has to come out. It's a subject that has to be talked about. Yeah. So I believe everybody's mics is okay. Let me go ahead and check one, two. Check one, two. Check. <laughs> yeah, I, I took mine off. Is that better? Yeah, it's a lot better. All right. So go ahead and continue what you were saying, okay. Teach. So the original African had a creation story uh, such that God touched them. If you speak with the Ashantis, they can take you to the actual spot where their lineage was created. Um, Zulu, actually the word Zulu means, um, means, um, means uh, man of God. And I'm a Zulu means I'm a child of God. So they also have in their creation stories where God created them. And then you have the Western view, which um, teaches the Adam and Eve story, how Adam and Eve were the first um, man. And, well, Adam was first and then there was um, Eve and they populated the earth. But scientists corroborate the story of the Akan. Scientists co corroborate the story of the Zulu as well as the Yoruba, wherein uh, the first humans came out of Africa, okay? So if you get into um, their belief systems, there's three things that bring forth a human. One is God, two is man, and three is woman. And so in African traditional spirituality, no matter who the father and the mother is, God brings forth that child. Because it takes God, it takes man, and it takes a woman to bring forth that next generation. So in Christianity, uh, they believe 
uh, and I, I'll I'll say it in brief. Christianity's belief is Adam and Eve was created by God. Um, Eve tricked Adam, and because of that, they fell from grace and they were separated from God. So to be a good Christian, your your purpose is that you were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And therefore, you must spend your life trying to be good, do good deeds in order in the end to be able to go back to God. In traditional African um, spirituality, God is with you all the time and you are born good. And if you live your life rotten, then at the end, you're, you're not a good person. But God is with you. He's never separated from you. So you have this whole idea that God is out there somewhere in the sky and to bring it um closer to what we're talking about um i just had to get that background information in um concerning the african coming to america initially when the dutch brought the um slaves this is before the british got into the slave trade and that's why i tell people that 400 years is a misnomer because the Dutch and the Portuguese had already been bringing slaves over to this land before America incorporated as a nation and took over. So that, that 16, 19 date is when the, Amer when the Americans, quote unquote, um, took over the slave, or the British took over the slave trade. So we had Africans on this soil hundreds of years before the British got into the slave trade. And under British, uh, I mean, under Dutch law, um, at first it was that, uh, these are not even human. They do not deserve any religion. Okay. Mm. And then as the slave trade progressed, then under Dutch law, they had a law that says that if a black person, a Negro at that time would proclaim Christianity, they can be what's called half free or set free because up under the Dutch um, church, they believed that uh, no Christian could be a slave, right? Then they changed the law again. And this law said that um, if, um, if a, a new African coming on the soil, they had to be Christianized within eight days of them landing on American soil. So you see the progression at first, oh no, you can't have our religion. And then as well, if, if you pledge to our religion, then we will let you be free because they didn't believe that Christians should be enslaved. And then they changed the law again uh, to say that all slaves coming over had to be Christianized within eight days of their arrival. So you see uh, I asked the question, was Christianity by choice or by force? And the first, um, the first Christians took it by force or gave you an option where you had to choose the lesser of two evils. You're stripped away from your homeland. You don't have any way to give back. And they say, okay, you must give up what you believe because we have a new belief in this new land. And so many took the option to become Christians so they could become free. But then now times are changing. Now we're up to 1619. 
1619, the British got into the slave trade. The Americans, well, they weren't Americans yet, the British subjects, they were getting restless and in, incorporating the very first colonies, they came up with even a newer rule that was more harsh and cruel and has stood to this day. And under the British, they saw a trend that the Africans were saying, hey, I, I believe in Jesus, so you have to give me my walking papers. I can go free. And the British said, no way. Under us, you can get baptized. You can proclaim your faith, but you will never be free. Mm. So it was the British that changed the game and instituted that whether you're a Christian or not, you're still going to be a slave. So why did the slave owners offer Christianity to the African? They, they offered it because it is a doctrine of docility. A doctrine to make you go against your core belief. A doctrine that nullifies your thinking ability. A doctrine that molds and shapes you into a puppet. You know, there was a theory during slavery that um, if you look at the whole body of a man, the Negro was just hands and back. They didn't have a mind and they did not have feet. They did not have a mind because they could not think. They did not have feet because they mobile, they could not move. But they had hands to work the soil and they had a back to bend over to work. So this was the, um, this was the doctrine of Christianity is to make this African that was free thinking, that had full body, head, mind, eyes, ears, mouth, hands, back, knees and feet into just this blob of hands and back. Mm. Damn, Teach. Already dropping that knowledge up on there. Anything you'd like to add, Beast Johnson? I feel like Dewey Cox. How am I supposed to follow that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about I, I, I help you out? I help you out. I, I, I give you, I give you this question. Um, what do you think... Do you consider yourself a Christian? I, I think that's the best way I can help you. Um, no. Yeah. No. All right. So do you do you think uh, Christianity has done any good for the black community? No. No, I'm not talking about like ever. I mean, like talking about like now. You feel? No. Um. Now, when I speak about this, I don't want people like I'm going against Christianity. I'm speaking on all structured religion. But since we're speaking on Christianity, no, I do not feel within my heart of hearts that Christianity has done any real good. Hmm. Like it, it, it tells you to be docile, like T said, but it also teaches you to give unto yourself even when it goes against your natural being even when it goes against your own personal self being in the hopes that you'll be blessed later on in the hopes that you'll get into a good afterlife 
Mm. Like it, 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 it promotes a an era of your ten percent to God, which goes into which is physically put into a church, is more important than your own living situation. Nice. I've seen pastors. I, I grew up in the church. I have seen good pastors that have taught people to the more spiritual side of Christianity, to be open, to love everyone, and to be knowledgeable of all other religions in order to truly gain a closer relationship with God. Because if we're all made in his image, that means an aspect of God is Muslim, is Asian, is you know, Buddhist, Confucius, whatever your religion is, it's even Satanism. Mm-hmm. That's a portion of God. So you must love them and understand them just the same. But I've also seen preachers flat out tell people, I'm not preaching the word of God until I get $300 love off mm-hmm. and stand there and hijack the church and make people give him $300 and then the church ends up building up another $300 to take care of the lights in the facility. I see it's one big hustle at this point. And a lot of people aren't taking the initiative to really analyze the Bible. The Bible is full of contradictions. It's not made to be factual. Hmm. All right. So, um, well, let me see. Got a comment. I want to go ahead, teach. If I may, I want to. I want to say, it was the church good um, for the African Americans? I believe in different time periods, it may have served a purpose. Um, During the time of um, slavery and Reconstruction, um, whenever. The, the church was a safe house. They used the churches on the Underground Railroad. So in that regard, it was a means to an end. Um, they were able to um, put their strategies and plans together when they had a chance to go um, to the church. So they used it as a cover to get other business done. So in that regard, um, the church was good um, because that was the only outlet that African-Americans had in order to see to their own good or see to their own betterment. Um, in current day, uh, what Beast Johnson is talking about, I have to agree, uh, the churches are more of a way to, to earn money. And if you're a mega church, the whole, the whole message is prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. And I've seen a meme um, where different you know, churches always saying, oh, look, come to this pastor. He's, he's such a great man of God. He can heal you. But which one of them stepped forward during this COVID-19, not a one. Oh my goodness. And even I, was, I oh see, my gosh. <laughs> I, I see even the report that even none of them have donated um, to find a cure. You know, they're all quiet about this COVID-19. So um, that in itself tells the real power uh, in, in terms of performing miracles and so forth and so on. They they can't do it because they really just don't have that power. Um, but 
for today. Um, and then, the, oh, oh, let me skip back. Um, during the time um, Black Reconstruction and forward, when African Americans after the 15th Amendment were given the right to vote, the churches were, again, that meeting place where um, they would engage the pastor to engage his um, congregation to vote for XYZ candidate. So um, that was prevalent. If, if the pastor voted this way, then the congregation would vote this way. And that's how they used to get those black votes. And you, know, you go to the head, which is the pastor, and you persuade him to get on your team and he's gonna persuade his community to be on their team. But um, coming forward, they, um, you know, laws have been instituted to separate church from state. And basically that's illegal now. Um, you can't um, basically say who you're voting for to persuade other people to vote the way you would um, to get black votes. So, um, and so progressively, um, I would say that African-Americans I won't even say it's a choice because your grandmother made you go um, unless you were Muslim or didn't go to church at, at all. Um, no. You went by force. Mm -hmm. So unless you unless you just never went to church, nobody was in um, nobody in your family was in church. And then one day he's like, oh, let me go see what church is about. Then it's by choice. But if you were, grew up in the church, it was by force. It was by force. It, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think we all can say that because when I was a young my yeah, my my uncle, my aunt and uncle, I still remember Uncle Mason and Aunt Laverne, they still alive today and they still go to church religiously. No pun intended. I used to go when I was small and I always remember sitting in the pulpit falling asleep. I, I wasn't with the type where they would wake you up and like elbow you like, yo, wake your little ass up. No, I thank goodness it was never like that. But I every Sunday. They will come to my house and they will pick me up. Which lead me to this question for the both of you. Do y'all can do y'all think Christianity now seem like a hustle? Yes. Mm, what about yes. you? Yes. Oh. Yes, yes. I, I I think for me is very insincere. Um, I came from a family, um, a family of ministers and um and I see the television evangelists and different people. And I, for me, they're just insincere. Um, I, I was raised in the church. Um, I am spiritual. And it's my spirituality that walked me away from that level of insincerity that I see on a daily basis. And I, I, I had... I had trouble at first because the way the Bible teaches you, you feel as if your whole world is going to crumble if you don't believe it just the way they teach it to you. But when you get out of that box, you realize there's a whole world out there and, and God is still with you and he's stronger with you now than he was when you were in the church. So, um, and many people mistake me for being a good Christian. And and I try to explain to them because with Christianity, they believe all in all um, God, Jesus, the mother Mary, so forth and so on. And if you believe exactly that way, then you're a good Christian. Then you're going to heaven. 
But because I've uh, understood the traditions of the Akan people, the Ashanti people, the Zulu people, I understand that God is in me. And just because I was taken away from Africa does not mean that God left me. He is with me. And who I call God or what I look at as God is not the same as what the Christians call God, but I live a godly life. Mm. And I'm gonna leave this question to you, uh, Beast Johnson. Um, Shannon Carter, I don't think y'all saw it, so I'm gonna post it up again. Did the white slave owners think that their God was different, well, different from a slave's God when they were praying? That's, That's a, a good yep. question. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it, it, if you anyone is actually, you know, like they like say, raised in the church, will tell you they always preach, especially growing up. You should have a personal relationship with God. You should talk to God as if you're talking to your, your neighbor or your best friend. So in your mind's eye, you create this image of what you want God to be, the God you're talking to. Mm -hmm. And because you feel this way, in your mind's eye, in your world, God is white. That's what you know. If you're white and you're praying to God, you see a white God. Kind of take me back to that. Um, I think teach. I and I think you've seen this um episode, B. Johnson. Remember the episode on um Good Times where they had Black Jesus and all great things started to happen and all that stuff. Just hearing that just take me back to that one because you had a ah uh, what's uh. You not Thelma. Thelma was the daughter, but you had the father who's sitting there saying, "I got so many things happening because I got Black Jesus up here." And then you got Mama. She was always the one that's. She always was in line, and she was like, "Take, take it down." You know, Jesus is white and all that stuff. But then didn't realize the blessings that they was getting from the Black Jesus. And for for me, I I believe that it is. A hustle nowadays, definitely in the black community. Um, and one thing that really reassured that was when I don't think y'all probably heard the story. This happened about months ago. Um, I've I've got that gospel channel that people likes of uh Kurt Franklin and uh who who's that other famous preacher that has a show? I've I've got his name, but yeah, the owner of that network sent out a picture of him as a pimp and all the rest of the black pastors that had, including Kurt Frank Franklin, who was on the show, who has a show on the network, was one of his hoes. And Kurt Franklin spoke out against that. He was like, look, I'm not going to do any more, put any more of my shows on your network until you resent that picture. I, I will go and find it. Um, I, I will look for it. But the person that ran that gospel channel, he said, no, he did not taking it down. I didn't hurt anything else. But right there proves that even the people that is the most loyal to Christianity, they would still would sell their soul because Kurt Franklin, he also sent out a, a statement and a video to his fellow um, gospel gospel folks that also had a show he was telling them like hey y'all should join me and leaving and getting rid of all of this you know 
I mean, because that picture was wrong. Y'all should follow me. Y'all should join me with the protest. And I don't think anybody joined them, which is a sad thing, which right there proves that this is just a hustle. You can be the most loyal of subjects to this thing called Christianity, and you still will get reminded you're just a black Christian. Now, tell me if I'm going too far with that. Um, <laughs> no, you're not. Um, I hadn't heard about that story, but because um, there's so many things that happen, but you know, I have to go back to history and I want to tie this in and I want people to really understand um, the mind, the frame of mind um, concerning this topic. Okay, so in 1452, there was a papal bull that was written and the papal bull essentially says that I'll just read it to you. I have. I'm sorry that I had to take my glasses on and off, but uh, when it's close hey, up, geez. it's like sitting on my nose. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so Pope Pope Nicholas V issued the papal bull, and it's called the Dom de Versus, on the 18th of June in 1452. It authorized Alfonso V of Portugal to reduce any Saracens, which is Muslims and pagans and any other unbelievers to perpetual slavery. This hmm. is the law that was created by the Catholic church that created slavery. So under the Catholic law, and if you know back during that time, the Catholic church was the law of the land. There was no separation of church and state. The land was run by the church. So Alfonso V of Portugal signed into law this papal bull. This is law coming from the church. Let that sink, sink in. The church signed into law to take Africans into slavery perpetually. So when, when you are um, asking if they're serving the same God under the Christian pantheon, the answer is no. And then ask this question. They wrote it in law that all Africans will be enslaved perpetually. And then they convert the African to the God that enslaved them. And the slaves prayed to that God and what? Never got free. Mm. It says in that Bible that God is not a respecter of persons. But in that Bible, he is a respecter of persons because the, uh, the, 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 the papal bull was signed into law and the slaves became slaves perpetually. There was no prayer that the slaves prayed that was answered. Name one prayer that was answered. By would, that God. 
Yeah, and I was I about can, to bring I, that. I can name it, but it'd be minor, minute, trivial, and insignificant. Mm. And and so um this is the owner right here. He actually uh he posted this out himself. And as you can see at the little one, it say refuse to apologize. And that, that's just proving that yes, sorry the vernacular. Yes, y'all my bitches. Ho get on the street. Yeah, basically. And then also look at look at that other familiar face other than Kurt Franklin. CeeLo Dolly, he got a very good track record with black community oh, with oh. the black community. He's the one that says, put, put give me money so I can get this nice what set what million dollar plane, this jet. Let me say something about Creflo. I'm I've always been disappointed in black people, and I'm gonna put that out there on record. I've always been disappointed in any black person that listens to the words of Creflo Dollar. Yeah. He is a false tongue prophet. Any man with the last name Dollar that only preach about getting money is a hustler. And you're not going to tell me different. Mm-hmm. And these are the same people that Kurt Franklin was trying to tell, hey, look, he done us dirty. Y'all need to join me in this, and nobody joined them. Because this thing about Kurt, Kurt is by nature a musician and an entertainer. You know, he he wanted to entertain the world with the message of God, and that's how he wanted to make music. And that's always been his mo. He took this as an opportunity. He actually saw this from the positive side. You know, the uh, rose-colored glasses. You know, uh, this is a stepping stone to further my godly destiny, the mission he put me forth on here for. Mm-hmm. And look, and looked at the other men as like these are other great men who are just as notable and even more notable than me. So I can learn a lot from them. Like he saw nothing but positivity going into the situation because every other individual I'm looking at this picture, yeah, they about that life, especially yeah. that young one. That, that, that young one, mm-hmm. he about 25, yeah, he just popped up on the scene. Mm. And he on, he on that Benny Hinn mess out here uh, slapping people with the sport coat, talking about he got divine blessings. Mm. And we got another question for us, okay? So Shannon's bringing in all the questions. And everybody, um, you can also send your questions too as well. Uh, don't be afraid. Um, according, to, according to the Bible, uh, it is acceptable to ex- is acceptable to accept a love offer. That's not demanded. That's not mandatory, and it's not required. Hmm. If you come in, you know, if you're preaching, if you go out there and preach the word, and they are receptive to the word, you know, a love offering is something simple as in they feed you for the night. One person might feed you. Another person might let you lay your head at their house for that night. And then on to your travels. Mm-hmm. There's not an actual monetary finite number. So basically what you're saying is if it's just a preacher who is he or she is one wearing the nice suits and driving the nice cars and can go on vacations all they want to, and then your congregation is still struggling or 
you know, still doing a nine to five. Something ain't right here, basically. Uh, uh, what, what, they have a thing called manpower, which is uh, something TD Jakes used to do. I don't know if he still does it. That's the TD Jakes. One of the big uh, religious conferences, they fill out the Coliseum, a sporting arena size building. Mm-hmm. I personally have watched my own congregation go there and actually brag about getting in a $150 or $500 offering line for T.D. Jakes or one of his random preachers, but you won't get your black ass up off your own church to give $20. Mm -hmm. That's how it goes. A lot of things things are just for show and ego. If you can stand up in a $500,000 line you know, all the cameras on you, and that looks well, like you just might have $500, $500,000 you just have to spare. Now, rather well, than that, you put that money in there, that's a different story. I don't think they're going to come and say, oh, dang, that man was in the line, and he really didn't give anything. So oh, no, they, they do they, they, things for trickery. and mm-hmm. I, I know they do. They do they, things they, for trick, and they do things for show. But my issue is with church is simply this. If you can have people stand up in a $500,000 line, how come you can't take all those millions of dollars and open up a factory and manufacture some mm-hmm. raw goods and put people to work? Yeah. One and thing I, I will say about the Catholic... I, I have seen churches try. Like, There's always good intentions, but what's the old Christian adage? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm. You have a lot of churches that have that mentality. That's why they're going into it. I personally came from one of those churches. My church wasn't considered a no mega church. Um, if I ever went back to Christianity, that's the style of church I went to. The preacher knew everyone. It was very close-knit. It was a community church, which is what a church is supposed to be. A place where two or three or more are gathered in his name. It's just a building at the end of the day. Right. And, and I'm I'm happy that you brought up that um quote be choice, but I got another one for both of y'all. Faiths without works is dead. dead. And for these preachers, mega preachers, but definitely the mega preachers that's out here just making millions, believe, billions. So I know if I believe correctly, that's a Hebrew eleven eleven or eleven six. I, I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're making billions of millions of dollars, and going back to what Teach was saying. Why are you not putting this money back in the communities? Because now, going back to the political side, you got a lot of the politicians, rather than going out in the street and actually having rallies, they actually go into the church for the black communities, thinking that, oh, they're going to have a lot of black people that's going to be there. And they come to find out it's not that many black people in the church. Because uh, uh, well, let's, let's keep it quick. It's not, a, it's not a lot of black brothers. Right. It, it's mostly. Is is vast, vastly women mm-hmm. in the congregations? Yeah, any man is either young, middle aged, happen to be dating somebody there, or they married. Right, and it's just crazy that when it comes to politicians, that's the first place to go is the church, and it just blows my mind. But pushing that aside. But let's go back to the T.D. Jakes. Let's go back to the Kurt Franklins. That's making millions upon millions, hands over fists. 
that could make their own networks, but they chose to go to next networks that does this to them that sit there, post out a freaking picture of the owner and have them on the side like hoes. Where's the money that you're going to? Um, because they already got little companies that they got on the side. Why don't you have those companies in those communities where you can bring people from HBCUs and also from from other colleges, even people within the community to work and also teach them entrepreneurship and to keep the money in the community. I mean, there are some people may think that this is a complicated thing to ask, but it's pretty simple and easy. You got the money, you got the resources. But like like he said, it's all for show. Mm-hmm. It's all for glamour and fame. That there's a specific uh quote there's a local mega church, if you will. Cause they are on TV as well. Um, but this church is so big that I've known people that we went to school with each other since second grade. I've known person A and person B equal long, equal amount of time. And both of them have went to that church the same amount of time and never knew that the other person went to that church. Right. So yeah, I'll go to such a best church. I do too. How long you been going? Man, we've been going over 15 years now. Me too. How y'all go to the same church and never run across each other? And y'all go to the same school. Mm-hmm. It's just it's crazy. And then um Shannon Carter, I, I hope y'all saw her um her question. Did any of y'all see it or I need to put it back? Up again? Yeah, I ain't get to read all of it. Yeah, so basically she's saying is why can't churches partner with local doctors? offices and have black people tested for diabetes and high blood pressure since there's also affecting the black community in a high rate, which is true. Well, that because religion and Christianity teach us that God is the healer of all things. No matter what the world, no matter what the devil afflicts you with, God is the only medicine. He's the only medication. Mm-hmm. And they have permeated and perpetuated that thought to the point of you got black folk that eat eat what they eat because they say God with me. No. Oh. But, <laughs> mm. but, not real, that. But, but not realizing at the same time when you when people make all these Christian statements like God works in mysterious ways. So why wouldn't God who loves you and care about you not put that spirit inside somebody else that you'll listen to to inspire you to get you off of that. Oh hold, God, we'll do that. Hold that thought because that was gonna be my next question for the both of you and also for people that's uh watching. All right, so when you hear people say, you know, God's with me, or you hear people that's sitting there saying God will make a way. What's the first thing that pops into your mind when you hear people say, you know, God's with us, you know, I'm believing in Jesus hand or the one that I always hear over. Well, not I won't say here over here that much, but here in like the southern states, they be like, Jesus, take the wheel. What do like I'm going to let Leachie start off with this one. What's the first thing that pops in your mind when you hear somebody say that? Well, um, the first thing comes to my mind is that they're looking and hoping for a miracle. They want God to do something that they fail to do themselves. 
And it is setting a person up for false hope because God gives you a mind to think and work out problems and solutions. He's there with you. Yes, he is. But he's not going to just make a miracle just because you want to be lazy. And I must take this from T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes said um, he gave a little story of um, how this man wanted a chair. He kept praying to God, you know, give me a chair, give me a chair, give me a chair. And God said, there's a tree right there. Cut the tree down, carve it up and make you a chair. So he looking for God to drop a, a fully made chair onto his patio when God said, look at the floors, look at all those trees. Hmm. Think, do what's in your power to do. But I wanted to um, speak on that last point um, before um, I give the floor back up. <laughs> um, I got you, got you, Chief. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was going to say, you know, the, the, the Catholic Church and the, and the Black Church um, have a different ideology. In the Black Church right now, they just want to serve, quote unquote, the spirit, get you spiritually happy, um, saying things that sound good a comedy show every Sunday, and you're like, ooh, Pastor Shrew sound good, but walk away. Did he solve any problems? He just made you feel good. One thing yeah. that I have studied about the Catholic Church, and you know it's through the history of the slave mm -hmm. trade, is that whenever they went into a community, they said, oh, there's sickness and disease, so we're going to open up a school and we're going to train doctors. By the time those doctors are trained, they have opened up a hospital so the doctors can be employed. They look at how to service the whole entire community. And then um, they say, oh, people are hungry. And they create a food pantry. Um, but they created the jobs. Well, they created the jobs and they stole land and they made those people that lived in the community work the land to raise the food so they could take it to the food pantry to feed them. Okay. <laughs> Hey, so so the difference, the major difference that I see between the Catholic Church and Black Christianity, you're looking at two different animals. They have two different ideologies. The only thing is in common is that they use the Bible and how they interpret it. It comes out different. But I want to speak on one other thing that I see that's failing in the Black community in comparison to um, the white churches. And again, it's going to service in the community. In 2005, there was Hurricane Katrina, and I had volunteered through the American Red Cross um, to be a, um, what was it? Um, volunteer? It was a, a, yeah, I volunteered, but I volunteered as a manager, a oh, shelter okay. manager. And okay. um, we were located down in Mississippi, so, oh. so many miles away from Louisiana, and um, it was the first shelter, and it was a mega mall shelter. And um, I learned something about church and organization and when you service the real community, not just yourselves. So this is a huge mega mall church with north, south, east, west wings on it. And they had the shelter residents actually um, separated by race. Uh, so if you were black, you went to the south. If you were Mexican, you went to the west. If you were Caucasian, you went to the north. And if you were something else, you went to the other wing. So I saw how they segregated the people, but the organization that they showed, they brought down the Iowa Convention, 
Their role at the church as volunteers was simply to keep the outside premises of the church clean. They brought down the Florida Convention. The Florida Convention, they brought in these uh, trailers with showers. That's all they did was allow the people to go in these showers and take showers. Then they brought in the North Carolina Convention, the Alabama Convention. Each one of them had one job, duty, and responsibility. That um, The Alabama Convention, it was their job to cook food in the kitchen. And then the other state convention, it was their job to clean up the kitchen. So I was like, wow, this is massively organized. And when I said this was a huge church, it was huge, okay? Oh, but wow. they brought in the other church conventions from the various states, and they had one job duty they had to do. And for the number of people that was on that church campus, that church was sparkling clean 24 hours a day. Oh yeah, they're and, oh, they're and when you have, when you are properly incorporated, they got paid um, so many thousands of dollars per shelter residence. So they was making money on top of money because they still held their regular church services, and now they had added people to their church services, which were the shelter residents. Uh-huh. So they were making money on top of money. By servicing the community. Okay. So when I when I seen that in 2005, I said, oh, these churches are just playing. When so they, yeah, they wow. can get on TV and say, God gonna kill them if they don't raise six million dollars or they don't get a jet. Oh, oh no, no, you you <laughs> can buy some land, put some people to work, build a factory, manufacture goods, and if you have money like that, and, and Beast Johnson, you talked about um, one of these smaller churches. Yes, the smaller church, they're going to struggle. they barely keeping the lights oh. on. Oh, oh, no, no. We're nah. talking about the mega mall churches. Now, now, <laughs> I was about to add, I was about to speak on it from a local side. Now, the local churches, what they do is they have what we call church saints, which is the religious concert. You get you a nice size church. You get you a couple of old school Christian acts, gospel acts. You get your church to come in. Get a couple other churches to come in. Bring their choirs. At least three people from each church gonna have some kind of cooking business. Gonna be selling CDs. Gonna be selling merchandise in the foyer of the church. I walk through uh, my church and many of churches. Seeing people slaying CDs and, and, and merch, thinking to myself, if Jesus was alive today, he would shit a brick. No, he would shit a house. Like he would like you got like you got people on the outside frying up wings and, and plates, the kitchen downstairs, the church is feeding and selling plates as well. You got somebody else doing hot dogs, you got security at a church. You got parking crew on top of your ushers, on top of the actual preachers that's going to come in there. Then the guest preachers that pop up, they're going to let them speak. I've seen seen people spend eight to ten hours for one service. Literally go in at like 11 11 o'clock in the morning, 
do not get back home till the late hours and then still have to feed your family, get yourself ready for church. And then we're not speaking over Bibles. They do that. Going at 7.30, not get off. They keep people there four or five hours in the evening, knowing good and well folk mm-hmm. got to get up in the morning for work. Got to get their kids ready for work. And, and see, I was about to tie in with everything that's being said. And ladies and gentlemen, y'all just don't realize it. We're teaching y'all a hustle. How to hustle people to just give you money. Whatever you're saying, they buying. You just got to make I them pay. I want people to notice that there are three black, three black individuals from three separate states who have never physically interacted with each other. I can't speak for Teach and Amante, but I know myself, I haven't been fortunate to physically meet either one of them, but we all speak a similar uh, stories as if we all grew up in the same area. Mm. That's to tell you how prevalent this issue is and, and how much of a systemic issue it is. Mm. And- it holds, um, some people are, um, I, I say, they're, they're obligated. They they feel a place. Um, they feel mm-hmm. a place in the church. They feel it, it, it feels some type of void that they have that keeps them holding on and make them afraid to let go. Um, even when the church is really not serving them. Um, I've talked to many men and women who have been um, hurt, quote unquote, by the church thinking they're going to church with their problem or for salvation's sake and only find out that they met the devil. And, um, and, and those people are really hurt. And when I talk to them, I try to make them understand that somewhere along the line, you began to believe man over God. Because mm-hmm. when you recognize the man, a man is fallible. He's going to make mistakes purposely, and maybe not on purpose, but never lose God. God is inside of you and you tap into yourself and find the God that's in you. And that God will speak to you by the way of intuition or sixth sense or whatever you want to have it. Um, and that will Discern. let you not turn from God because a rotten man or rotten woman um presented the wrong thing to you and you believed it. Mm-hmm. We we have to be diligent to understand ourselves because people get burnt out or bitter at God because of what man has done. And see, and also here's my biggest issue, going back to that story of the, the man that was like, I want a chair, I want a chair, and you got a tree right over here. To me, I believe there's a God in me. I always, I'm, I'm trying to, me and him still trying to get a relationship going on. But at the same time, we, Christianity has really kicked into our asses. I'm literally mean that, kicked into our asses that if we pray and we think positive, things are going to happen. I won't say instantly, but it's going to happen eventually. The, the by and by and, you, and all that stuff. What do people need? What do we need to get us out of that chain of thought that, you know, if 
you know, if God just, you know, if he if we just leave it in his hands and he can take care of it, when's enough enough? Because we well, see it right now. We, we see it right now with the um, because I, I had as a separate question, but I want to keep going on with with this with this last one. You see what's going on. You see police brutality happening. You see these people. You see us. I'm gonna say this: us praying with these cops that goes out and they do the same exact thing, and the only thing you hear is lip service, lip service, lip service, and then you hear the same thing from these politicians. And guess where their meetings are at? In the church, where you got the pastor, who some of them I can give credit to that they really hammered down on the freaking, the, the chief sitting there saying, you can't be doing this to our people. But that's as far as it goes, because they believe that Jesus is going to make it better. God's going to make it better. It's like if, if the police chief or that mayor or whoever who is running that um, community, whenever they say something pertaining to Jesus or pertaining to God, it's like we gravitate to that and like say, yes, finally, change is going to come. And that'd be the same damn police department that is beating us on top of our heads. And then we got another brother that's dead. There's another sister that is dead. What do you have on that? If if you're going to use the Bible against me, make sure I ain't never read it. Now, unfortunate, unlike some, more like most people, I have actually read the Bible front to back just because. Because I want, I personally wanted to see what the whole Bible was about. Because I was, I was taught up that the Bible really happened, these things. I'm like, okay, well, if this is how we're supposed to live our life, I got some questions because I'm seeing a lot of indiscrepancies. I'm seeing a lot of hip, you know, hypocrisy and contradiction mm. with just simple things. And if you're telling me that something simple weighs just as heavy on God's heart as something major yeah. and, and respect to lies, a white lies just as bad as a black, all lies, one sin is the same as all sin. Theft is just as good as murder in his eyes. But with that being said, if, like, for example, when it comes to fashion, women's fashion in particular, it is stated in the Bible that you are not to adorn your face with makeup or pierce your skin and mark up your body because the body is a temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is very prevalent within the black church. Earrings and makeup yeah. and, and, and all that. Is there something else where a woman, she cannot speak? She's not supposed to speak in the church? Uh, that, that was yeah. there. That's, that's in the... Uh, I'll take it a step further because the Amish practice this, but in the case of marriage, if a man has a brother and he is married and he dies, that brother is to take up the wife, he is to lay with the wife, he is to reproduce with the wife and raise those children as his brother's children. Right. So you're telling me as as the brother, if my brother dies, I have to now take up his wife, raise the children that he already has as his children, and then I am to lay with her and raise yeah. more children that would technically be my nieces and nephews. That's how I'm to raise them. 
It's crazy. But there are multiple, my children. This is in the Bible. With the issue of blood. Like, I can speak on the Bible, the Old and New Testament, and then you hear the division within Christianity because people can't back it up. Because if the Bible is supposed to be taken 100% from front to back, then why is it so much inconsistency? That's because the Bible was not meant to be factual. It was meant to be a series of parables and stories with underlying truth in them. And as far as like what we black people need to do as far as the whole thing, I bring on the story of Gideon. And the story of Gideon was God speaking to Gideon and telling him that though you may feel outnumbered, though you may feel inequipped, though you may be afraid, not only am I with you, but I have guaranteed your success. What I need you to do is I need you to turn the fuck up. Mm-hmm. When you go to battle, I need you to kill all the men. You will not rape the women. You will not kill the children. You will not put them into slavery. But you will kill every man. You will burn that whole nation to the ground. Hmm. And Gideon said, but we only 3,000 deep and they 300,000 deep. I don't care. Do what I said. And Gideon did it. And Gideon was successful. Took down an army 10 times his size and did exactly what God did. That was God's wrath because those people had, for lack of a better term, pissed God off for the final time. And that's what we're seeing right now. So if you want to hit people with the Bible, you need to hit them with the story. Get it. You need to rise up and we need to go there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's what my point is with that is, you know, you got to put in the work. It's, what Shannon Carr said, help those who help themselves. And that is true. And that's the biggest issue that I'm seeing with the protests. This is why I always said this on the show, and I'm going to say it again. I don't believe in protests. I I don't. I think it's now... I, I believe it's now time for us to start showing our teeth. It's time for us. It's like you got the Second Amendment folks out here protesting. They got their bare arms and all that stuff. I say it's about time that we start showing our bare arms. We have the right to carry as well and to protect the protest. And see, when people sit there going back to a Martin Luther King narrative, people tend to forget. Look up Deacons for Defense. Deacons for Defense was a group of deacons that had bare arms. I encourage y'all to watch the movie, by the way. They protected mm-hmm, yeah, they protected the civil rights movement because Dr. King finally was like, okay, I know after taking so many rocks to the head and getting punched and spit on, yeah, he was like, you know what? There's enough of this that I can take. I'm going to need some protection. And deacons for defense not only protected his march, but they also protected all civil rights marches, which we never talk about. They always talk about the peaceful protests and how all the kids got, you know, hit and got abused by police, which is true. But how the story is told about the civil rights, it make it seem to me, now this is for me, y'all, it make it seem like we was weak and that we didn't do anything and that the only thing that we fall back on is the Bible. And that's not all true. It does, lead, paint that, it, it does paint that portrait. Yeah, which lead me to you teach. 
with all that was said, how are you gathering up all of that's what me and um me and B. Johnson are saying? What what you got brewing um, over there? Over there, like <laughs> no, I um I I I believe um I, I agree with what he said in terms of um not doubting yourself. You know, I always talk about self-love, self-identification self-determination and when you are involved in self-love self-identification self-determination and you are you called on the god within you not the one that's outside of you but call on the god that's in you you will stand up and do battle regardless of how many um regiments are there are even if they outnumber you because god is with you and it's for it that particular time. It's for you to get the victory. Um, you can't get the victory. Same thing with the, the story of David and Goliath. You know, David thought because Goliath was so big that he could just crush him. But God, um, God let him know that he had the victory. So sometimes we have to just take arms and, and make that fight. But I wanted to go back and I wanted to introduce another concept um, that you talked about. Um, uh, what is what is um, is the black church serving um, us? And some time ago, I read uh, a book called "My Mercedes Is Bigger Than Yours," <laughs> and it was written by a Nigerian uh, author. I, I say I got this book back in in, uh, in 1997. That was actually my first trip to Africa. And I bought it from uh, a bookstore, a, a camp, a college bookstore. My Mercedes is bigger than yours. Okay, that title is loaded. But the subject matter that this man addresses is being a young man in Nigeria when the missionaries came into his area. Okay, they had he had been raised by his traditional ways and. The missionaries came and took land and basically starved the people to death, took them off of their land. And they said, okay, they built a school and they said, well, if you allow your six-year-olds to come to school, all right, we will allow your parents to work their land. And in turn for working their land, you will be able to eat. So the contradiction became when the children went to school, they were indoctrinating them in Catholicism. And they were branding and selling Catholicism. So naturally, it's a new thing. You know, we have our spiritual practices and the course that they took, they had to demonize or damn the traditional practices. So that was a brainwashing that had to take place. And when he had gone through, I think by the time he got 18, he was graduating. He said, now, I trained or was born in my tradition. And now for 12 years of my life, I've been 
indoctrinated in Christianity. And he says that I guess Catholic services are only like 30 or 45 minutes or something like that. So he talked about the time that they met on Sunday. And he always compared it back to his culture. And at the end, his analysis was simply that Christianity was insufficient. It did not answer the needs of the person. It did not answer the needs of the whole soul. So if you get a chance, um, I don't know where you can get a copy. I don't know if they're still available or not, but it's called My Mercedes is Bigger Than Yours. And he really makes the comparison between um, culture and religion. And speaking on that, it's time for us to take a little bit of a break and we're going to go into our final segment after this great commercial with the creators, myself and my boy, Beast Johnson. Take a look. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the wet network is in the works. It's still going through a test phase, but we will let you know once everything is up. Um, I'm so excited about it. And I've been telling Teach, I'm going to give her her own show. Ladies and gentlemen, she deserves it. <laughs> yeah. And oh, well, we got a lineup coming up for it. Oh, yes. Most definitely. I'm going to talk to you later after the show, Beast Johnson, more about it. All right. Unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, we have hit the last part of the show. So we're doing the segment before our final thought. Um, so last question for um, each and every one of you. And it pertains to this protest. I kind of went on a rant earlier about this, but I won't turn into a form of a question. Not even a question. It's more of a question mixed with, with a statement from me. Where is Jesus? People may say that's the question, but that's more of a question, a statement. Where is he? During this Black Lives Matter. I, I, re I respond with a version of what you asked earlier about uh, do we pray to different gods? Which Jesus are you talking about? You talking about the true Jesus that was based off of an African proverb and African truth? You talking about the black Jesus that is portrayed in the Bible that they gave us, which is full of inaccuracies and it's a wonderful bedtime story. I'll just say that. Yeah. It's great to read bed. Yeah. It's, well, it's a hell of a read before bed. That's all I'll say that much. But uh, where is Jesus? Jesus is here. Jesus has been here. John the Baptist has been here. They've been reincarnated and recycled throughout our history in some of the greatest names and minds of our revolution. You know, for every generation has a Jesus in a certain respect. Jesus was Paul, was Huey Newton. He was Bob Marley. No, he, he was Marcus Garvey. 
he was WDB the boys. He was a lot of brothers and sisters that came along the way that were preaching that message and actually out there on the forefront. And like Jesus in the physical, they were ridiculed, they were ostracized, they were betrayed by their own people, and they were crucified and martyred. So Jesus been here, it's just what version is here now or what version is next? And when will we finally listen and actually get behind him? Yeah. Go ahead, teach. Okay, where is Jesus? Um, for those that believe in him, I guess he's in the Bible. He might be in the air. He might be in their hearts. But a greater question for me is, where is the God of my ancestors? Where is the God that breathed, that breathed breath into my nostrils? Um, who is the God that gave me my wide nose, my thick lips, my nice, thick, curly hair? Who is he? Where is he? Because he seems to be missing from our lives. And the reason why I say that is because you must know, you have to think. Jesus, in his form, he looks like the Caucasian. Bra, in his form, he looks like the Indian. Um... Buddha, in his form, he looks like the Chinese. Allah looks like the Arabic people. So when you line up every known God, there are several characteristics about that God. And I'll tell you what they are. Whatever the name of the God is, he looks like that people. He is geographically associated with that particular land mass. Whatever language that uh, people speak, that God speak that same language. Okay? So what I'm saying is Jesus seems to be race-based. He looks like who created him or he created the people that worship him. The same thing with Buddha, Bra, and the other gods. So when it comes to the African, who is his God that speaks his native language? Because I believe God is wise. And that's why each God speaks the language of the people that he represents. I do not think God had to make us use an interpreter to talk to him. I think every individual has a direct line to God in his or her native language. So for me, I asked the question of proselytizing religions. Proselytize simply means to go out and seek others to convert. 
in traditional um, religions or systems of spirituality, there is no recruitment. You're born with God. He's with you. And he doesn't tell his minister, oh, we'll go over to the other land and convert them and tell them their God really isn't God, but my God is God. And my God is the king of kings and the king of all gods. There's a scripture to say that Satan was thrown out of heaven and with him he drew one third of the stars. So who is the one third? Statistically, hmm. one third of the earth is Christian. One third is Muslim. And the other third are native practicing. So who is that one third? Who represent the one third? Who did the recruitment in heaven? Before Satan rose up to fight against God, he recruited one third of the stars. Mm. So who, who are the stars? Who are the stars? Who does the recruitment? So you have to look, when you look into the various religions of the world, you will understand that a guy that looked like you, that, that gave you your DNA, He's not concerned about other people because his business is to help you to be the best you can under him. But the religions that rose up to fight against God, they're always recruiting. They're always looking to get those numbers. They, they got to add to the pot. They got to add because they were separated from God. I'm going to get deep here. Just, I, I, I'm, I'm oh, you go ahead, Tish. You're already there. Okay. You already blew my mind yeah, with I'm that saying. whole third. I was like, oh. Um. Okay. Yeah. Because we already had this talk before a long, long time ago. This is just a rekindling. Okay. This is like a refresher for me. Okay, I will. Let me make the statement. Okay, so um, there was Adam and Eve. We're going to go to the Western Christianized view of the first family. Adam and Eve in the garden. It said that God created Adam and then he created Eve to be his helpmate. God gave Adam all the instructions. Adam was supposed to give Eve all of the instructions, but obviously he failed. Now he was googled-eyed, looking at her breasts and booty, whatever. And he didn't give her all the instructions or he didn't make her understand. But somehow or another, they got one commandment that was don't eat of the fruit, fruit, I mean, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve saw it and said, well, this, this looks good. Of all the things I see, this looks like the best thing to eat. So she prepared it and gave it to him. When he she gave it to him, their eyes came open. They realized that they were naked. Okay? So they went and got some leaves and put them on their body. And then God's voice came walking through the garden. Can you imagine his voice walking through the garden? But nevertheless, it's in Genesis. 
And he wanted to know what happened to Adam and Eve. Okay? He wanted to know, you know, who told you you were naked? How you know that? <laughs> okay? So they were dressed and they were run out of the garden. Okay? They were run out of the garden. In other words, they were run out of heaven. And Christianity teach you, oh, you have to be good to try to get back. They have to try to get back. So they put clothes on and they went down the centuries and they came back to Africa. And they came back to Africa and they said, oh, you savage, you're running around naked. All right. So remember I talked talk to you about reverse projectionism. Adam and Eve was naked. And they knew their nakedness because they had gone against God. The African, they didn't eat of the fruit. They were in their nakedness and unashamed. They did not have to cover up because they were still in their original state. But the European came back to Africa and said, oh, you're savages. You're just so uncivilized. You don't have any clothes on. Oh, 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 oh. See, that was their sin. And now they projected their sin by saying that all men are shaping in iniquity. That's not true. All of their men are shaping in iniquity and born in sin. Because if you go to Ghana, specifically to any one of the Akan people or the Akan ethnic groups, whenever they go to court, even here in 2020, whenever they go to court before the chief, the manner is this, is to disrobe, to take your clothes off from your shoulders to your waist, be it male or female. And what that means is taking the clothes off means I have nothing to hide. Okay? So, why did Adam and Eve put clothes on? Because they were hiding their sin. That was their sin. But anytime the Caucasian does anything wrong, then they want to join hands and project it upon every human. Now we're all man. Now we're all mankind. Okay? Mm. But if it's something good, it's exclusive only for them and none for you. All for us, none for you. So you have to understand Christianity is a creation of Adam and Eve and how they fell and was pushed out of the garden. Hmm. Hey, Teach, I, I want you to um, to add on to that story because I remember you told me this and this stuck with me for a while. And I want you to share with everybody the agreement where Jesus, uh, what he did, he went up okay. on the mountain for 30 days. I'm, I'm, a, I'm ladies and gentlemen, okay. y'all in for something. All right. The deal, <laughs> as I call it, the deal. Okay. Hmm. I'll give it to you when I finish, honey. I'm sorry. My grandson is um okay. Um 
let's let's take a, a two minute break, please, because he's okay. not gonna settle down. You know Maybe what? You don't mind. Hey, I don't mind. We get to show our commercial once again. Here we go. Okay. Inspiration for me and my boy Beast Johnson is our new network. Before I play this commercial, do you have anything to add? Um, anybody watching that's interested in expressing themselves in a video, a visual manner, anybody's got that drive or passion to be creative. Any black person out there that wants to show your true worth and represent who you are and not feel ashamed about who you are, all your nappy, kinky hair to your big, wide nose having, big feet having self. <laughs> Come on down. This mm -hmm. network is, we on that FUBU. This is for us, by us. Not us. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, she's back. And we, we're all ears. Okay. Uh, the contract. All right. So um, just to give you a little background, I am well-versed in the Bible. I used to remember everything chapter and verse. Those chapter and verses uh, kind of left me. But the basic stories. One of the things... Uh, that um, I'm going to say as a background information is that the Bible is a, um, how could I say it, is, is knowledge from Africa repackaged under the word called Bible and sold back to the people. Okay. So first and foremost, the baptism comes out of Africa. Um, just so many rituals that they talk about can be found in traditional societies. Um, but let's talk about the contract. We talked about how the devil, or we, we know that there was a war in heaven and the devil threw, I mean, uh, recruited one third of the stars and they were all kicked out. So in this story, um, Jesus is up on the mount. And in that mountain, um, he's praying 40 days and 40 nights. So during the time, um, the devil say, well, you know, he's weak. So let me present my idea to him. And basically the devil um, says to him that if he would bow down and worship him, he would give him all the kingdoms in the earth. So it's recorded that Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to my father. So you come away from the story thinking that, you know, Jesus turned down the offer, right? Yeah. That's basically what you led to believe, that Jesus turned That's down the offer. Mm -hmm. That's how I've always well, <laughs> let's leave the Bible and let's go into history. And let's look at the timeline. At the timeline of this particular conversation was roughly ah, about 2,000 years ago. 
So let's go back in history 2,000 years, what was happening, what has happened up to this point. Well, it was recorded that Jesus denied the offer. But someone of the Caucasian persuasion heard the offer. And you say, well, how can you say that? It's not written in the Bible. Well, no, but it's written in history. Historically, we see that offer being played out. So what was the offer? The offer was to give dominion over the earth. So let's look at some personality characteristics. It is the Caucasian who desired to rule the world. It is the Caucasian currently who has ruled the world in terms of conquering, colonizing, and making other people subject to them. No matter where you have gone in the world outside of Europe, if you go to Australia, that was settled by the British. Mm-hmm. You go here in America, it was settled by, well, it was settled by the British, but we had um, the Dutch, the Spanish, and the French all putting their bids in for this land. They all had different agendas, okay? So they were looking to conquer the world and glean of its riches. So historically, Jesus turned it down, but somebody else took it up. So in that contract, and this is where you have to follow me, go out on the limb. In that contract, the devil said, now, this blessing cannot be shared with the other people of the world. Because in taking on this contract, exclusively you are my children and as you mate mate with the same dna to bring forth that bloodline that will continue to serve me Mm. so that's why you have this whole notion of superiority And that's why they made that papal bull that no matter which God you pray to, no doubt the first Africans prayed to what they knew. It's only the second generation Africans that began to know Jesus and didn't know the original African God. But no matter who they prayed to, Nobody was listening because they did not rescind that sentence of slavery. Just think about it. Think about the power. I'm going to show you something really simple. This is a piece of paper. This is a piece of paper with writing on it. This represents the papal bull that declared in 1452 by the Catholic Church that they can take Africans into slavery 
perpetually. This is a piece of paper. You have to ask yourself, what was the power behind that piece of paper? What was the power? Was it God? Was it Jesus? Or was that the devil? Because no praying to anybody released those slaves until another piece of paper was signed called the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm. Now, I'll show you how the difference of God's make in Haiti, in Brazil, in Jamaica, and other places, those places that were able to retain their system of African spirituality, they did not stay enslaved. They fought for their freedom and they remained free. But everywhere where the African-American took on Jesus, they were never successful in any slave revolt. And they only became free when Abraham Lincoln signed a piece of paper. Think about this is a piece of paper. I'm going to do like this on there. And wow, stuff is just going to happen. No bullet, no musket, no nothing can help me get out of this thing. That is the supreme form of devilry. They entered into a contract by signing a piece of paper and they exited the contract by signing a piece of paper. So I ask you to stretch your mind and think about it has been one race that has dominated for the last 2,000 years. Every kingdom in the earth, they colonized Asia. They colonized India. They, they colonized, yeah, they colonized everything and everybody. And what we're witnessing today is the rise of the African God. You may say, how so? I'll tell you how so. I truly believe this COVID-19 was made in a laboratory by man. Mm -hmm. And there's this scheme to make money oh, off of the vaccine. <laughs> Right? Okay. Excuse me. So, so they launched this virus and they had it calculated how long it'd take to kill X number of people. And they need those numbers to for me. 10 to 12 percent. The yes. They need those numbers to validate the vaccine and the monies to be given for research and the ultimate payment. So it's a money-making scheme. But what has happened? The people in Europe and America are dropping like flies. They can't get control of it. It is out of control. China was able to get it under wraps. It took them a minute, but they got it up under wraps, okay? They did that. They said, no, 
no COVID here, right? In mm -hmm. Africa, they say, oh, we got something for you. And it comes back to going back to the earth. They reached down beneath their feet and pulled up a root, brewed it in some tea, and they are well. They don't have the rate. They don't have a contamination rate. They stopped it in its tracks, okay? Even to the point that the World um, Health Organization, who they were first speaking out against the method that Africans were using, a natural method, just a tea, brew some leaves, and we drink this tea and we don't have COVID. And those that had it recovered from it. First they said, oh, we don't, we don't, uh, we're not going to stand behind it. Um, no cure can come out of Africa. It has to come from a European nation. Well, European nations still have not come up with anything and people still dropping like flies. Meanwhile, Africa is going through a rebirth and renewal because the country of Madagascar was willing to stand on its, uh, stand on this soil, stand on the roots. The other African countries begin to say, hey, we want that and we're going to use that as our first treatment. So the, I think it's 37 countries now have gotten on board with what is called CBO. They have gotten on board. The numbers are reducing. They don't have people dying like flies like in Europe. Come to find out that this very same root is the hydrochloroquine that, they're, that the U.S. is trying to talk against. And this is the same root that was used to uh, cure or stop the SARS virus. And on top of all of that, the same root or herb has won the Nobel Peace Prize. So that mm -hmm. tells me that the WHO organization and the CDC is full of SHIT. Because how can this herb win the Nobel Peace Prize if it was unknown, if nobody knew what it's capable of doing? Mm. Okay? So that's why they were talking mm. against the hydrochloroquine. The hydrochloroquine is found naturally in this root, uh, this, uh, this plant called Artemisia. Come to find out, Artemisia grows nearly everywhere. I was able to get some and I planted some in my garden. Mm. I thought it was only in Africa, but it's, and actually there's at least two or three American companies that grow Artemisia and uh, produce can, it. Can, 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 so, let me put something real quick, uh, T. When people make that statement of it, it, it can't come out of Africa, um, Pangea all started together. Africa is merely the heart. At the end of the day, it's all connected. America ain't nothing but the shoulder to the left hand of Africa. Still the same soil. It just got separated. So I'm not surprised when you said it's found here. Same African soil that's in Ghana, 
you still see over here in Louisiana and, and Arkansas, and possibly over in Ohio. And and also, and most another, likely to say that the slaves brought that plant with them. That exactly because they say it's a native of China and it's a native of Africa, but it's it's been growing here in America. But look at all the resources that's coming from Africa anyway. So putting out that point, but also another fact, teacher, that you told me that stuck with me. That Africa is the only continent, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, the only continent that is connected to the Earth. That's rooted only in one. the Earth. That's, that's rooted true. in the Earth. So let that sink in your mental, as one person would say. So, but uh, teach, yeah, teach. You, I really want you to tell that story because that wraps around with the subject that we got going on here. So, which leads us to. Our final thought, and Beast Johnson, I'm gonna start off with you. You got the floor. All right. Um, my final thought is gonna be some advice that was given to me by my grandfather. Very wise man, very crazy man, but a wise man nonetheless. And he always told me that if you ever want to avoid a situation with an individual, if you ever want people to stop messing with you, then you just got to show out. But you got to show out with so much energy, so much vigor, so much ferocity, so much anger that it scares them to the core. And it'll take several years to several decades before anybody else even tries you on that level. Because all you got to do is show out one good time and put that fear of God into a person and you ain't never got to worry about them messing with you again. And for those black folk that know what I'm talking about and understand the truth of that, share that wealth. That's what we need to do. With this movement, we're putting the fear of God into them. And we need to continue down that path. Because as long as we do this, it'll ensure they won't mess with us no more. Or if they do, it'll take another two, three, four, seven hundred years. But we got to show out and we got to keep it up. That's my message. My final thought. You know, I'm a believer and a lover of self. I believe that if you love yourself, that'll lead to self-determination self-identification and it will lead to critical thinking and that's what we need in this day and age uh, we can't just accept things at face value we have to look into a thing we have to look behind a thing we have to turn it over as I say in order to understand it and for every story there's a contra story um, and we have to understand why we're led on a path to believe a certain way and in Christianity, that is to take us down the road of docility, to make us good slaves, to make us non-thinking persons. Because when a man or a woman begins to think and think critically, they don't accept stories at face value. They don't accept things or just believe just because someone said that you must believe it. No, we're free thinkers or we should be free thinkers. And we think freely. Um, we make decisions for our life. And I just ask that everyone um, 
take on those values and that will lead you to being the best person that you could be as you navigate this life, as you navigate this journey that is the sum total of your life. That's it. <laughs> gotcha, Teach. Then it's me. So Friday is a very special show. I will have my full panel back, also with a special guest. And we're going to have our very first white person on the show. I'm still going through the um, factors. I'm still going through how it's going to go. One thing I do not want this show for Friday to go to is a screaming match, people talking over people. So I really want to be more of not even a conversation. I want it to be a dialogue. That whatever questions my bell buddy will have or questions that my panel will have, including myself, that everybody is heard and that we are all listening. Now, I know I'm going to have my questions, but at the same time, I will intervene, but I will play more as the mediator, as the host that's what what I should be doing in all my shows, but still I will give in my two cents if it's asked or need to be. But Friday, I will be more as the mediator in this dialogue that we're going to be having on Friday. So in the old times of when I used to broadcast back in the day, same back time, same back channel, tune in. But as well as that you, you, the audience, stay engaged, put in your questions, statements. We may not agree with each other, but I promise you we're going to get our understanding where we're coming from and where you're coming from. So if you're watching right now, you watch a little later and all that stuff, you have to be a part of this discussion if we want to move forward. You have to step into our world. There's no longer like, hey, let's talk about it. No, you got to come into our world and see it from our perspective. So tune into tomorrow's show at the same time, 4.30 p.m. Pacific time, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, and all other time zones. Get in where you fit in. That would do it for me, but teach. I got an alibi for you. There, um, on the last video, I'm going to go ahead and take this. Uh, let me stop this one real quick. This is my alibi for you. There was a comment on our last video from um, from Miss Jackie. I'm just going to leave it at that. And I want to show you her comment as I'm looking for it right now. I want you to uh, take a look-see. Cause I'm about to put it up on the screen. Let me see. Uh, and I believe that the question was directed toward you. As you can see right there, hopefully you can see it. <clears throat> or I just can just uh, share it to you. Let me see. Yeah, I can't see that. I got that you. 
Yeah, and and one thing is to see. This is why I'm happy that I have a show like this, so I, we don't have to. That we don't have to read all this. So I'm gonna send it to both of y'all. This is the alibi. All right. I, w- I want y'all to uh, give a chance to read and see what y'all think about it before we head on out. Okay. Did you send it to my messenger or? I just sent it to you. I just sent a notification. I just um, tagged you in the um, comment. Okay. So I want to uh, give y'all a chance to uh, read it. Okay, I I think it's coming up now. Okay. Because uh, I only read just a little bit of it, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to let my panel, I'm going to see their take on it. So, ladies and gentlemen, would y'all send, here, here's here's my thing when you send monologues, that's because basically that's not a comment. That's not even a statement. That's a monologue. When you send monologues just like this, I'm only going to read like the first three sentences. And that's it. I'm at an age right now where if I if I receive anything, I'm not saying what you say is BS, but I'm just going to read the first three parts to realize what you're that's talking about. Yeah, like she's that that's that's borderline conspiracy rant. Hmm. I'm going to put you on the focus. I'm going to go ahead and take this off. Okay. Um, this is Jackie um, Caggiano. Mm-hmm. Um, Jackie Caggiano. Okay. Yeah. Um, basically, she's um, she says she didn't hear the show and she don't understand why um, I'm suggesting that it be first degree murder. And basically, um, from the owner of the uh, bar, restaurant, nightclub that they both worked at, they said that they did know know each other and that um, there were times that they would have skirmishes between one another. And it was over the way um, Derek Chauvin treated the customers. And so, and then another issue came out with, Somehow or another, the the owner would give the checks to George to give to Derek, and I guess he didn't like him handing him his check or something like that. It was something, but anyway, um, the evidence that I have viewed shows that they have prior relationship. It was not a random meeting. Um, this was not the first time that Derek Chauvin ever came in contact with George, and because they have that history. I believe that history should be investigated and looked into um, because the whole thing smells of a setup. If, if in fact, they had not worked Mm -hmm. together, um, never knew each other, then I could say, well, yeah, it's an isolated incident. But this is showing more and more that there was a a rift in the beef between Derek and um, George. And to, to, yeah, not to confuse everybody, this is... We are talking about the previous video that we did on Monday, this past Monday. That's where that comment was at. If you want to um, get more of clarification of what me and Teach and 
and what we are talking about, I refer you to go to that video. That video was money and it's still up. So what's your take, B. Johnson? Um, that's just the basic, basic ignorant white person state rant. You know, that they're not, they're looking at it from their standpoint where it was still uh, as like because they're an officer, there's always this air of they're doing their job. There's like no history has shown us that cops are more personal with their professional manner than any other profession. Hmm. They will take their personal bias and inject it into their professional life. Not rarely any other job does that. You see it sprinkled throughout individuals, but as a whole, you see that very prevalent within the occupation of being a police officer. Right. And and so, ladies and gentlemen, that was my alibi. I had to get that out of the way. I should have started that off with the first part of the show. Apologies about that. But ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of my guest, Anil Jope, Beast Johnson, and then your yours truly, I love uh, Monte 31. We cannot wait till Friday. And you know, I always have to ask before I go, are y'all going to be there on Friday? Yes, sir. All right. It'd be our first ever show where we have a special guest who's also activist on Alan Bragg's neck of the woods. Hopefully, Alan Bragg will be on the show. And then also, uh, Mr. Martin. Hopefully he will be um, tuning into the show as well. And then my bell buddy, um, Goza, he's definitely going to be the one, the first white face on the show. Cannot wait for this Friday show. It's so much, so much. But yeah, Beast Jones, I, I will um, get with you on Facebook. Teach, thank you for tuning in. And thank you all for everybody for tuning in. Please, ladies and gentlemen, please, please, please stay safe out there. And for all the protesters out there, keep doing what you do. Remember, the God is within you. Not up there, but in, in here. Mm-hmm. I'm out your ladies and gentlemen. Thank y'all for tuning in. We out. Awesome. Catch you later. Uh-huh.